She's going first. No, she's going first. No, you're going no, first. You're no, you. No, you. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome, GC. I'm Todd Lyons, and you're listening to Toddcast Season 2, Episode 10, a show for and about public servants. On this episode, the third of our continuing series on mental health and mental illness, two special guests from Canada Border Services Agency, Lisa Janes, Acting Director General for Border Operations Directorate, and Darlene Marion, Senior Program Officer who many listeners will remember from her unforgettable story on Toddcast Season 1, Episode 2. I'll be asking Lisa about Canada Border Services Agency's mental health strategy, and then we'll check in with Darlene to see how her life has changed in the years since our last conversation. Come with me. So today I'm on location at Canada Border Services Agency, and um, I have two special guests, and I'll, I'll just ask them now to introduce themselves each in turn. Good morning. My name's Lisa James, and I'm the Director General for Border Operations Directorate in the Canada Border Services Agency. And I'm Darlene Marion, and I'm a Senior Project Officer here at the CBSA within the Uniform Program. I've been looking for an excuse to get together with Darlene to have another conversation because it was about a year ago that we started having these conversations about this issue in government. So I'm very happy that we're picking this up again a year later. So tell me, Lisa, what is the agency's strategy to support mental health? Well, the overall vision really is to to establish a respectful workplace that promotes psychological health and safety and creates an enabling environment uh, to have open dialogue, to allow employees to be heard, feel respected. Why are we doing this? Well, not only is it a smart thing, but it's the right thing to do. The strategy recognizes that everyone has a role in his or her own mental health and well-being, and employees all contribute to a healthy, respectful workplace. So our vision not only builds on the existing employee support mechanisms that we have within the agency, but we're also looking to establish new traditions and have some cultural change. Within the CBSA, we have a diverse workforce. So we have a highly decentralized um, organization across the country. We have employees working on the front line. We have employees in detention centers, overseas, in headquarters here. Our strategy explores uh, CBSA organizational health. It identifies drivers and opportunities related to mental health. And it's really centered around three strategic priorities that focus on prevention and promoting understanding and awareness, reducing stigma, as well as intervention, which is really equipping employees to know how to address mental health challenges, and support, enhancing well-being and resilience. These three priorities are going to contribute to achieving our overall vision and will help support and protect the mental health of CBSA employees at every level of the organization. It's a three-year implementation plan, and it really aligns uh, quite well with the broader public service-wide strategy. Can you tell me what kinds of consultations were done, both internally and with your external partners? 
Well, we have, uh, we have a mental health team within the Human Resources Branch, and uh, they took on the challenge of uh, doing a wide range of engagement and consultations across the agency. Specifically, uh, they started with an environmental scan, so they looked at best practices uh, within industry like, like Bell, police partners, uh, other organizations within government. Uh, then they started some dialogues on mental health uh, within the agency and uh, there were uh, at least uh, 10 sessions that were held with employees at all levels, so opportunity for engagement. Uh, we also did uh, a lot of engagement with portfolio partners and with the union. And when I say portfolio partners, I'm talking about the RCMP and others in law enforcement. Uh, there was uh, also some communications and awareness sessions that were held by senior management. So our executive vice president and our VPs uh, had uh, blogs as well as engagement sessions with the staff and messages uh, on our internal um, internet um, in across the agency. And uh, more recently, we created a, a consultative committee on mental health within the agency, of which I'm proud to be a member of. Now, since you have a public-facing audience, were there any special considerations that you had to take? Yes, we did. Um, with this strategy, um, we take a two-pronged approach. So we have an employee-centric focus, and we also have a client-centric. So within the employees, so we're looking uh, employee-centric. We're looking to um, what do we need to do to support our employees within the agency. But because we also serve uh, the public, uh, and we have um, we have situations where uh, can be challenging at times for some of our employees, we need to make sure that our strategy also um, provides the support that our frontline employees have the tools and the information to be able to carry out their duties uh, as border services officers or inland enforcement officers uh, if they're encountering clients who may be exhibiting mental health issues. What can you tell me about the Not Myself Today campaign and why it was launched at CBSA? Well, the Not Myself Today campaign is a workplace mental health initiative. It's uh, led by Partners for Mental Health, and it aims to create uh, agents of change within the workplace, so empowering more employees and managers to improve mental health at work. It equips our managers and our employees with information, tools, and resources to support mental health, reduce stigma, and help build psychologically safe and supportive work environments. It specifically provides a range of resources as well as interactive activities for managers, and they can use this with their employees to help uh, open the dialogues around mental health. And I know uh, as, a, uh, as a Director General, um, I've been fortunate to, uh, to do a couple of these uh, activities with the management team as well to, uh, to demonstrate some leadership and to create some more awareness around the campaign. That's great. I understand that you're an employer member of the technical committee that was struck between Treasury Board Secretariat and the Public Service Alliance of Canada. Can you please share your impressions of the work conducted to date and perhaps give our listeners an idea of what's to come? Well, I have to say that, uh, you know, it was a wonderful experience. I was uh, extremely honored to be, uh, to be selected uh, to be part of, uh, of this working group. Um, right from the beginning, it was uh, very collaborative. Uh, we had a lot of honest dialogue. Uh, we were very respectful amongst uh, amongst the group, uh, always uh, open uh, to listening. We heard a lot of really good presentations from what was going on uh, within the community. Um, but within uh, within the group, there was a true commitment and excitement and a lot of positive energy. People were really wanted to be there and 
we were extremely proud of uh, both, uh, both products that have been produced by the, uh, the technical working group. And, uh, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that uh, we're actually uh, resurrecting uh, the committee again, and there will be meetings starting up here at the end of the September. So looking forward to, uh, to uh, additional work that we'll be taking on because it's, uh, it's work for the right reasons, and uh, I'm very happy to be part of that. That's great. As an executive in the federal public service, and given that CBSA operates in a 24-7 environment, can you describe some of the pressures that you face and share with our listeners some of the techniques or the strategies that you use to maintain your own well-being and your own mental health? Well, definitely it is a stressful environment. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I don't think, uh, you know, within the CBSA it's any much more unique than in what we're facing, uh, you know, across government in general. Um, for me, I think that, uh, you know, balancing um, work and home uh, can be difficult uh, at times. Uh, I'm in a fairly demanding job, and uh, I do require uh, to stay long hours or do work uh, in the evenings. But I also have to balance um, with, uh, as, as a mother, uh, I've got two children, and, uh, you know, I've got to try to balance that as well. Uh, I've got activities afterwards. My my mother's not well either, uh, and uh, she lives uh, at a distance, so that creates a lot of uh, a lot of pressures as well. Um, and um, so it it can get uh, overwhelming sometimes. And uh, certainly, we I have my share of bad days, you know, when I go home at night. And um, uh, but what I try to do is, uh, well, I certainly try to um, maintain a, an active lifestyle, so I do try to, as much as I can, exercise. But, you know, I don't get too wound up about it. I just try to do, um, you know, if I, if I can incorporate it. Uh, but I try to also detach and um, focus on family if I'm really feeling stressed out. I try to kind of um, focus on the world from my children's eyes and kind of uh, bring things back to what's most important for me right now. And I find that that really helps me to to cope and uh, to get up the next morning and uh, start with the, the a new day with a new perspective. I am glad to have an opportunity to be invited back here to hear more about what's happening at CBSA. I know that there must, it must be a good environment because it was the sort of environment that allowed you, Darlene, to be the person that, that, I, that I met last year when we did our first podcast on this episode. And I'm just dying to ask, what have you been up to in the year since, since we last talked? Well, I, I just want to thank you, Todd, and uh, Ioana, and the entire Toddcast team for inviting me back again a year later. And, um, you know, at the time, I was really unsure of whether or not I should go ahead with disclosing in such a public way. And um, I can say now that any um, any worries that I have had at the time have, uh, you know, I, I've just felt that, um, can we start again? Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Don't, don't second guess yourself. Okay. Just, just, you were fearless last year and it worked. <laughs> What I want to say is that um, doing that talk has to open up a world of opportunity for me. So, and and a world of people I didn't even know. Um, so I just want to read one of the uh, comments that uh, was sent to me uh, from a listener. Sure. 
Uh, Darlene, I'm new to the public service as of this week, and I was sent a link to listen to the podcast. I just listened to your episode. I wanted to commend you for your courage in sharing your story. While I'm lucky enough to not yet be affected personally by mental illness, I do understand how difficult it must have been for you to share your story. I just wanted to say that you should be proud of your achievements and that you are an incredibly strong person. I wish you nothing but success, health, and happiness in the future. You don't need to reply to my message. Like I said, I just felt compelled to commend you for your bravery and let you know that I can't imagine how hard it was for you to go through what you did. Even though I don't know you, I'm glad you're still around. So it's messages like that, and there were others that deeply touched me and just affirmed that I did the right thing. Another event uh, that I was invited to was a lunch and learn at Canadian Heritage. So I was so proud of you that you got that invitation, and despite the fact that you sort of felt, you know, this isn't really my thing, getting up in front of a big crowd of people. But tell me, tell me how that turned out. Really well. Um, again, I was received and welcome, welcomed into their workplace. People took the time away from their lunch, you know, to come and listen to me. And I was just honored uh, to do that and uh, that they were so engaged in the session and um, deeply touched too, you know, there was a lot of emotion in the room. But it's when someone comes up to you afterwards and says, Darlene, because you shared your story, I feel like I can share mine now. And that's the most rewarding thing to me. So, uh, <laughs> no, that's great. You've made it okay for a lot of people to say what, what they just didn't have the courage to say before because you, you put your story out there publicly. You know, they heard it. They were moved by it. They wanted to meet you. You've opened up a lot of doors for a lot of people by being one of the first to come out and publicly talk about what it's like in the public service to be a person that's struggling. Thanks, Todd. Okay, so then in January, I was fortunate to be asked to attend the leaders hash, hashtag LeadersGC Twitter chat. So um, I believe she's an ADM. Debbie Beresford Green uh, was the uh, guest speaker and another incredible leader, you know, who is walking the talk. And it was a fantastic experience. I think it was, again, one of the most popular uh, chats that they had. Um, and I'm thankful for being a part of that. Then in April, it was the uh, Human Library event at the GC2020 Innovation Fair. And wow, <laughs> that was incredible. Um, I, I, again, I had never been a human book. <laughs> so it was a new experience. And but that's where I'm most comfortable, those one-on-one -on -one conversations, you know, that can be tremendously powerful. And I was really thrilled to see um, young public servants there who checked me out. <laughs> <laughs> and we had some fantastic conversations, very open, honest, and um, I was able to share with some parents 
what I struggle with with my children because if anyone has listened to the first talk, yes, they know that Andrew has mental illness just like me. And so does my daughter, Sarah. So last time I didn't talk about my daughter, Sarah, because she was a minor. But now she's 18 years old. And um, I asked her before I taped this session, would you mind if uh, mommy speaks about you? Because I always want to respect their privacy. And she said, no, I don't mind at all. So in a little bit, I'll share, you, uh, share with you more about Sarah's story. There was another comment that I received from uh, one of the people who was hosting a booth at the Innovation Fair. And she wrote to me afterwards, I, I met you very briefly at the Innovation Fair last week and was so moved by how open you were about speaking about your one in five ribbon. I just wanted to say thank you for being so open and representing those of us that aren't as open about our mental illness. Thank you. And that's just another testament to how powerful it can be to just simply show, you know, wearing a ribbon, something so simple, but sparked a conversation, you know, and there was this instant connection between us. So that was amazing as well. And then in May, um, I had the pleasure of doing a, a vignette, so a video testimonial here at the CBSA for Mental Health Week which Lisa also was a part of. And I'm so thankful for that because we had people at uh, in different positions within the agency. So Lisa is an executive. Then we had the um, manager of our EAP uh, program here at the CBSA do a video testimonial as well as a border services officer. And these were so very well received. Um, I... Again, people stop me in the elevator and they say, Darlene, oh my God, it's you. Yeah. You're a celebrity. <laughs> in my own mind, I would say. And I would add that uh, when we open up our computers, um, we go to a, a homepage. And on the homepage, it was Darlene's face <laughs> that we would see. Excellent. All, first thing, and she'd be smiling and laughing. And so you'd be prompted to try to click on and, and watch the video. So we, it was it was really good, uh, really good vignette. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and yeah, it was a little unnerving to see my face, my uh, shaved head on the uh, screen in front of me every morning. <laughs> that's that's life <laughs> as a celebrity. Quotes. <laughs> you know, I just have to share with you another comment that I received. This was from one of our senior executives here at the CBSA. I mean, it's oh, that's just wonderful. fantastic. Yeah. A colleague of mine emailed me last week and told me that I had to watch your video on mental health. I just finished watching and have to tell you how struck I am by your courage and leadership. In a minute and a half, through sharing your own humanity, you have broken down a wall that will allow so many others to easily pass through this artificial hurdle of fear. You're a shining example for us all, and I'm so proud that you're part of the CBSA. God bless you. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> And then in May, I was invited to give a testimonial at the um, MCIA, McDonald Cartier International Airport and Ottawa Cargo Services. And this to me was a really fulfilling because, you know what, a lot of people, um, when I 
recorded the last podcast, a lot of people outside the CBSA knew that I was a mental health advocate and knew about my story. But since then, in the past year, I've become known within my own home department. And to, to me, this is so gratifying. So to be invited to speak to our people on the front line who are facing so many challenges when it comes to mental health was extremely rewarding. The superintendent who hosted me for the day there, France, sent me a message afterwards and she said, on behalf of my colleagues, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to come to OCS and MCIA and sharing your personal experience with all of us yesterday. We certainly recognize the determination you've shown through your, throughout your life to overcome all obstacles, but even more the courage it takes to share such personal information with us. I know your presentation touched and inspired several people. Many thanks again for the time and efforts you invest in promoting mental health awareness. As you said yesterday, it can save lives. And this is really why I do it, right? Because it can save lives. That's, that's why I do this. Absolutely. So finally in August, just recently, um, J.F. Claude and uh, Danielle Caron created a new uh, group called the Federal Speakers Bureau on Mental Health. And I'm so proud to be part of this group. The motto is Building Empathy One Story at a Time. And it's an employee-driven, volunteer-based national initiative. So the Bureau is a virtual team of Government of Canada employees. And through in-house speaking engagements, we openly share our personal stories of recovering or successfully managing recovering from mental health issues or illnesses, or speak to being a caregiver to someone with mental illness. And we support the Federal Public Service Workplace Mental Health Strategy. And in short, although we're not subject matter experts in this field, we're authentic and authoritative voices in the conversation around mental health in the workplace. We offer positive role models whose personal journeys help inspire hope for reaching a state of recovery and maintaining wellness. So please, I encourage everyone listening to join our group on GC Connects and book a speaker today. So it sounds like you've had a really enriching, fulfilling year professionally. Tell me about what's happening with you, you the person. Okay, so um, on the personal side... I had a bit of a slip in January, <laughs> so I park about 16 blocks from the, my office, and as everyone knows, the sidewalks can be a little dangerous at times, and uh, one day I went down on my butt and <laughs> was looking up at the sky and thinking, oh dear, this isn't good. <laughs> so um, turns out <laughs> that was the start of... Um, some back issues actually. So um, I fell and then um, in March we had a move. So I had to move my personal belongings in my office here and I was pulling out some boxes underneath from underneath my desk and felt a, this sudden pain go down my right side. So um, I, I thought, wow, uh, this isn't good. <laughs> so I had a lot of trouble walking afterwards and then I didn't think too much of it. You know, I was kind of limping around. And then um, one morning on the way into work, I was parking. And I reached over to grab the parking ticket out of the machine. And another just really searing pain down my right side. And I could barely move. I just had to sit there 
and uh, compose myself. And so um, it turns out I herniated a disc in my back and ended up in the hospital, actually. Um, and, um, you know, this is when I really uh, realized the connection between our physical and mental health. It became clear that um, there's a, a true connection there, and we have to pay attention to every aspect, right? So mental, spiritual, physical, they're all tied together. And when I was in the hospital, it was actually the first time that um, my recovery was tested. So um, I've been in recovery for several years now, but um, I really struggled in the hospital. I'm a very independent person, and not even being able to get out of bed just threw me for a loop, honestly. And so it was really a time to reflect. <laughs> I, you know, I spent a lot of time in bed. Um, thank God for Netflix, you know. <laughs> Binge watching became a, a pastime. But I also had this wonderful buddy in my room with me, Ethel, who was like this 90-year-old woman who was just a godsend, I say, because, she, you know, I was pretty down. And uh, then I see Ethel struggling with some health issues, and she's got these uh, walking sticks, uh, or walking poles, rather, and she would get up out of bed and get her poles, and she'd go marching around and do her laps around the hospital. And she shared with me her um, personal story. You know, she came here to Canada at a young age with her husband, you know, they had nothing. And it, it was a really inspiring story. So Ethel and I really bonded. <laughs> we, we shared some good laughs together. And uh, it, it's funny how, you know, you think, okay, like I, I went into the hospital in a lot of pain. And then eventually, like, I, I was at a place where I thought, oh, God, am I going to end up like this? You know, am I really like, is this a permanent thing? You know, and that's what I worried about. And uh, but thankfully, like, God sent me Ethel. And so we, like I said, she inspired me. And um, with uh, time, my injury improved. I was able to come back to work after a few weeks off. And um, we're, we're still in touch. We've become pen pals, you know? So <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> yep. So um, positive things happen all the time. You know, it, it, it's just like... Life, that's what it's about, right? There's there's good stuff and then there's not so good stuff. But I just wanted to mention too, in the hospital, I, I encountered stigma there. So there's stigma within the health profession um, that I was a witness to. So it, it just drove home the fact that although we've come a, a long way, there's still a long way to go, you know? So, um, yeah. Can you say more about what what you saw, what you felt, as far as stigma there? Sure. So when I was in the hospital, there was um, no communication directly with the um, physician. It was all done through the resident. So the only person I spoke to was a resident, and he seemed to believe that my pain was all in my head, so that it wasn't real. They knew that I had depression and anxiety, and he said to me, Darlene, do you think this, you know, I understand what you're describing, but do you think that 
it could be your anxiety that's playing a role here, you know, and I was just like, no, I can't walk, you know, so there's something going on. And he was reluctant to order the tests to see, you know, and determine exactly what the source of my pain was. So I was really annoyed by that, and it made me really angry. And so I basically had to, like, convince him to order the CT scan, which they finally did. And when the results came back, that's when he saw that, yes, you know, I had a herniated disc. And there was no apology. There was no, you know, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean to, you know, you know, I didn't want to make you feel worse. There was none of that. It was just, yes, here's the results, and... uh, Here's some meds, and we'll discharge you now, and uh, we'll order an MRI just to make sure. Um, but that was it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've I've witnessed this before because Andrew has had so many, you know, health issues uh, he's faced all his life. So I've seen there's good and bad, right? In the in the profession, the medical profession, there's some people who genuinely want to help you and there are others who who just don't you know <laughs> i'm not sure why they're in that profession <laughs> to me they shouldn't be but um that's just the way it is then um todd in april this is a tough one <laughs> because um andrew received another diagnosis, and this one is is really tough. So it's called CRPS, which stands for... Complex Regional Pain Syndrome. He broke his uh, wrist back in August last year, and... The pain never seemed to subside, so he uh, finally saw a plastic surgeon who diagnosed him after he described his symptoms, which were like a burning sensation and pain so bad in his right hand that the gentlest of touches would just send him like screaming with pain, like it was that bad. So this condition is um, rated extremely high on the uh, McGill pain scale. And uh, it's up there like with people who are diagnosed with cancer. So um, Andrew was referred by the plastic surgeon. The good thing is, is that he was diagnosed within a year of uh, the onset of the symptoms. And this is really good. Because um, an early diagnosis is key in recovery. So there is a possibility of that. Um, And that's what we're hoping for, obviously. So um, he was referred to the general pain clinic, where he's now a patient. Where we have been going every month for the past five months to get a procedure done that causes more pain. So... This procedure is done, it's called an IVRA, 
which stands for intravenous regional anesthesia. And they do this, this procedure so that they can operate on people. So they drain the blood completely out of your entire arm and they put a tourniquet on the top and then they keep it on for 20 minutes. So this 20 minutes is the most unbearable time and to watch your child <laughs> endure this is so incredibly hard. Andrew's going to be 23 soon. And when I'm there with him, I have to go to the washroom and compose myself, right? Because I don't want Andrew to see me break down because I'm what he holds on to for strength. And he's told me that. He's told me, Mom, I don't know what I would have done without you. And so him and I continue to face these challenges together. And that's why I'm here talking again today is because we will never change the culture unless everybody works together. And that's why I'm so glad that Lisa is here with me because senior management has to play a role. Employees have to play a role. The union plays a role. We all play a role. I was going to say, because I, I'm the father, three beautiful little girls. I can't imagine, I can't imagine going through this. And I wonder, you know, Andrew has you. You know, are you getting, do you feel like you're getting the support that you need, you know, behind you so that you can be there for him? You know what, um, this is something that I, I still have, I struggle with it. I think that I can, I can do it all. I can handle it. I don't need anyone's help. And um, just recently I had a really good talk with my manager. Because you know what, it is a lot. It's a lot. You know, I work in a very fast-paced environment you know, these these health issues with my son have been going on for a while. Um, and as well, um, Sarah, like I mentioned before, she was also diagnosed with depression and anxiety unbelievably um, when she was 15, and she's now 18. And, um, you know, I always, I thank God to this day that because I'm so open with my, my own experience, she was able to approach me and tell me that she was having some suicidal thoughts and she was self-harming. And again, you know, I went, you know, this, this can't be happening, you know, like, and you question yourself, you say, what am I doing? Like, am I not a good mom? No, like, but then I... I know the facts, right? And I know there's a ge genetic component to this, and it's nothing that I did or didn't do that caused both of my children to have mental illness. So if anybody's listening, and if you're a parent, just know that, okay? You have to let go of that guilt. It doesn't help. It just it weighs on you, and it brings you down. But this is where... um. 
I gain a lot of strength and uh, courage from is my faith. And I don't think that we talked enough about the spiritual component of health because um, my strength has been renewed uh, considerably over the years. You know, I turned away from God in my youth. But I know that I'm here today speaking to you and just alive because of him. And uh, the talk I had with my manager was extremely helpful because she helped me to realize that asking for help is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. And why do it alone if you if you can have someone come alongside you and help you, right? So I said in my video testimonial that I'm stubborn, and I am. Like, I am stubborn. <laughs> and the doctors at Chio can attest to that. <laughs> you know, I fought tooth and nail for Andrew for many years, and I, I'm sure some of the nurses and doctors, when they saw me coming down the hall, they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but that's the mama bear in me, right? And, like, I will... I will never give up. You know, that's why I'm here. I will never, ever, ever give up. And I don't want my kids to give up. And no matter how hard it gets, and when Andrew's in those 20 minutes going through hell on earth, I say, Andrew, you only have 20, you know, or 18 minutes or whatever it is, five minutes left. You can do this. You can do this. We're going to get through this together. And then we're going to eat a whole bunch of wings, you know? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you you got to know his currency, right? You know. <laughs> oh my God, that that boy loves chicken wings. Like holy cow! Like he's, he's got them so hot, and the tears are just streaming down his face. And you know, like I just go, what the heck? How can you eat those things? Like, oh. <laughs> it gets him through. Exactly, whatever gets him through. So uh, that's his price, and I'm happy to pay it. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm not sure if we have much more time, but not. <laughs> There's no limit on the show. Okay. I'm just saying I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have a manager that you can talk to. I know that not everyone has that. I, I have nothing on the scale that compares to the things that you've you've gone through. I haven't had a completely bump-free road because I don't think I've met very many people at all that became social workers who didn't decide to become so as a result of having endured and gotten through something in their own personal life. But I come from a perspective now that I sort of need to have people around me in my work environment that I can unload on, that I can tell what's going on in my life. And I wish I could say that I've always had those sorts of people that I could come to, a manager that I can actually tell them what I'm going through and, and that it's not only welcome, it's, it's understood. And I've left places because I haven't had that support there. But really, it, it's amazing what you can endure when you feel like there's the right climate at work 
to be able to give the people around you some perspective as to what's sort of coloring you, what's, what's affecting your functioning right now. You know, coming into work, it's, it, it adds to, to my sense of, of, of routine and, and kind of helps me get through stuff. But if I feel like I'm just, I'm being a problem for the seven and a half hours a day that I'm here because things aren't going really well with me, yeah, it can take me much longer to sort of get through that, to get better. You're right, Todd. Um, having those supports in place is, is so key. <laughs> I mean, if people feel like they can't open up, then there's no, I won't, I won't say there's no chance, but it, it makes it difficult to get the help that you need, right? So I, I totally agree. I'm so lucky to have had a manager who understood and although she didn't have experience with employees with mental illness, she walked alongside me and she helped me to do the things that I've done over the past year. Like if without her support, I wouldn't have been able to do those things, right? And she just recently moved on to a new position. So I'm sort of like, you know, what is my new manager going to be like? You know, I'm wondering, well, I have the same support that I had. And I'm truly hoping that, that yes, I will, you know. As you said, though, it's, it's not about having a lot of knowledge and expertise sort of in mental health specifically so much as just, I guess, having an open mind and be willing to sort of go with you where you need to go and do so unconditionally. Exactly. And uh, I commend her for that. And I think, uh, you know, if if other managers could do the same, we'd be in a great place, you know. Um, and so um, I'm looking forward to continuing to um, partake in the activities that I do um, moving forward. Um, and... Uh, when I went into her office, actually, it was because I was sort of having a mini breakdown at work. <laughs> um, because um, my daughter, Sarah, just started university. So she uh, moved out of the house, my baby. Um, and um, after watching her go through um, grade 12, you know, although she was diagnosed uh, in an earlier grade, Grade 12 was really, really hard. After um, she was first diagnosed, it was um, six months later. So we had to wait six months to see a psychiatrist. So her family physician referred her. But, you know, this is one of the problems in our system today is the wait lists. Um, and so I had to be there for her uh, during that time when we waited. And then when we did get the help that she needed, I was taking her to appointments uh, in Ottawa, and we live an hour away, you know, so I would drive her in. She didn't have her license yet. Drive her in for her appointments, um, sometimes twice a week in the beginning and then monthly, so I was helping her with that. Um, and so in grade 12, um, she really struggled, but, you know, 
God blessed me with two amazing children, and she's so incredibly smart. Um, so is Andrew. Incredibly smart and incredibly caring people. You know, this is what makes me so proud of them. And with the help of um, a guidance counselor at school and the principal. So again, we had to educate people, you know, about mental illness and what it means and maybe some limitations that she had or challenges she faced that she needed extra help with, you know. And so it was with their support that she was able to get through grade 12 and graduate an Ontario scholar, would you believe? Like, oh, I can remember her graduation ceremony and it was just, I mean, yeah, I was bawling again. You know? <laughs> but tears of joy, you know, tears of joy. And so she um, got an apartment. There was a little bit of confusion around what was happening because her best friend uh, and her were supposed to get in the apartment. Then her best friend decided, no, oh, no, I think I'm going to take a year off. And then a couple of months later, no, I think I'm going to university with you, Sarah. <laughs> so they found an apartment at the last minute and she lives not far from Carleton. She's a first year student in computer science, like a girl going into the, uh, computer science field you know is, is oh, just fantastic it is fantastic i was i was going to jump in there because i've got three girls and that's where i'm pushing them <laughs> so don't you dare tell me that they can't get computer science <laughs> no way you won't hear that from me you know like uh my kids can do anything anything they want and they're encouraged you know all the way i, I am their number one supporter and and sarah knows though this is the thing i i've drilled into her head is that, you know, you are going to do this thing, university. She's the first one in our family to go to university. And my parents and my sisters and my nieces, we're all behind her. You know, we're all supporting her. And she knows that. And I've assured her that Missy, that's what I call it, that's her nickname, Missy. It doesn't matter whether or not you succeed you fail, you drop out, you pass, you get, you know, amazing marks. It doesn't matter. I am so proud of you for facing and overcoming what you have that I will never, ever be disappointed in you. So she knows this in her heart. And she's just a total gift. You know, I used to sing her the song, You Are My Sunshine, when she was a kid. And she just got inked for the first time <laughs> with that on her arm. And I could not be more proud, you know. I'm not a, someone who goes around with tattoos. I don't have any myself. <laughs> but, you know, I was with her, you know. We went together, and I was so proud and just... You know, she was a little nervous, you know. She wasn't sure if it was going to be painful or whatever. And she's just sitting there getting it done. And it didn't take very long, you know. It's not a, and it's got a sun on the end. And, uh, 
and now she she's permanently you know she's gone that and that just told me how much she loves me and how much I love her I just uh, wanted to end with a poem that I wrote Todd and this is actually one of the, the uh, tools that I have in my toolbox to help me maintain my recovery is writing. So I really enjoy writing. But to be honest, I haven't written poetry in a very long time. Just because of, you know, what's been going on. You know, there's only so much time yeah. in every day. <clears throat> but I was totally inspired, you know, when I knew that I was doing this second podcast, I was like, I need to write a poem because this show has had a tremendously positive impact on my life and I wanted to express that. So the poem is called The Real Me. Men are from Venus, women are from Mars, or have you heard one of my personal favorites? Labels are for jars? The fact is, sticks and stones will break my bones, and words can really hurt. The real me. Growing up, I was taught to be seen but not heard. I just wanted the shouting to stop and the pain to end, but never uttered a word. Until at 18, I thought I'd figured it out. A permanent solution to a temporary problem. A way out. A way to free. The real me. But God had a different plan that required me to live. A plan to use my experience and recovery to help others and to give. Hope by sharing my story through a podcast that allowed everyone to see the real me. I want you to ask yourself, how can I end stigma? What can I do? I think the great Gord Downey said it best, armed with will and determination and grace too. This is how we'll create a world where everyone can say they're truly free to be the real me. I've received some lovely letters over the last year, but it's great to have a poem. Thank you so much for, for writing that and for sharing that with us today. And thank you for, for, for coming back, for making this conversation today possible. I don't know where I would have ended up, where, where this show would have gone without someone like you to, to jump in when I was nobody, <laughs> when I was just a person that had an idea that, that I wanted to do something maybe risky, <laughs> maybe potentially unpopular in the public service. And yeah, you answered my call when I really needed someone to, to have faith in, in something that I was trying to make. And I'm, I'm so thankful. And I'm proud that you're, that you're my friend. So before we, uh, we close for today, are there any final thoughts that anyone wants to leave our audience with? Okay. I 
think if we do this for year three, we're going to have to make sure there's tissues on the table. <laughs> I need a few boxes. <laughs> I got to go invest. I'm investing in Kleenex because the stock price just went up. I just... Uh, oh, my God. Here's me. You know, after the first podcast, after I listened to it, I said, oh, my God. I started off by saying that I, I really love to laugh. And then I cried the whole show. And here, I thought, no, I can't do this again. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> it's just such a heavy subject. And this is why it's so hard for us to talk about, though, is that it's so personal, you know. We, we have this image as public servants. You know, we're highly educated and we're very driven and we, we do important roles and we have to bring our A game every day. But at the, at the bottom of it, you know, we're just people. We're people with lives outside of these walls and outside of the nine to five. And it's hard to sort of feel like it's not okay to have a bit of vulnerability, to, to be able to sort of give people a, a, an insight into to what it is that, that you're going through in your off hours, you know, when you really just want to come in and do your best job for Canada as a public servant. So I'm, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. I'm so pleased that you're doing so well and that this show maybe played some small part in you having an amazing professional year. Thank you for uh, Canada Border Services Agency for, for allowing me to come here today and to have this, this conversation. Thanks. You've been listening to Toddcast Season 2, Episode 10, co-produced by Ioana Finicu and Emily King. All opinions expressed on Toddcast are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. Special thanks to Darlene Marion, Lisa Janes, Canada Border Services Agency, Debbie Beresford-Green, Jean-Francois Claude, Zoe Crago, Jennifer Daw, Adam Fritz, Abe Greenspoon, Justin Henry, Anne-Marie Hume, Stacey Ilelegy, Malen Lafleur, Stephanie Moulton, Joy Moscovich, Christine Nasrallah, Louise Ouellette, Lara Semulenik, Walid Sharif, Tanya Snook, Lily Speck, and Catherine Parker for their support and contributions to the Toddcast community. You can support us, too, wherever you found us, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, social media, or on my website. Let us know that you heard Toddcast and help us to reach a little further in getting meaningful content out to the public service of Canada. Become a subscriber, share the episodes, rate our content, and write. And let us know what's on your mind. You can reach me at todd at toddlines.ca or start a conversation with your fellow listeners on the Toddcast group on GC Connects. Toddcast is planned, written, and technically produced using free and open-source software, CanBoard, DocuWiki, and Audacity running on Kubuntu Linux and Linux Mint XFCE edition. Software that is free as in cost, but, more importantly, free as in freedom. This episode's theme music was Child of Urban by D. Dimizic and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. 
Toddcast content is free to use and share under the same CC by SA license because, like open source, open content and open licensing makes the world a better place. Much collaboration and genuine affection fueled the production of this presentation. Thanks, Darlene, Joanna, and Emily, and the listeners that write every week. What would Toddcast be without you? Less. A show that takes no chances. A show that hides its feelings. A show that I, I wouldn't want to listen to, let alone produce. Thank you. I'm Todd Lyons. I'll see you online. Thank you.